The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. David Vendrunen. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Well, we are looking at uh, the Psalms on Thursdays, and um, the psalm that I have been thinking about most over the last uh, couple of months uh, has been Psalm 119, and that seems like the perfect psalm to do in about 15 minutes. So, um, of course, I, since I've been thinking about this, I might as well uh, uh, choose this psalm. Uh, I realize that uh, there probably are uh, a few of you here uh, who have heard me talk about this relatively recently. I've, uh, I've preached some of the early verses in the psalm in a few local uh, churches and also made some comments on this at the January conference. Um, but nevertheless, uh, let us think about Psalm 119 uh, a little bit. Uh, I will just read verses 1 through 8, the first of the stanzas, the Olive uh, section. Hear the word of God. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. This ends our reading of God's word. Uh, Having read Psalm 119, um, I want to, just to kind of mix things up here a little bit, I want to turn to Romans 7. Since, you know, I don't really have, you know, I have too much time, you know, I I have to fill up the time, and I don't think I, you know, Psalm 119 is enough to fill up the time. Um, I want to turn to uh, another really easy text, uh, Romans 7. And uh, you may know that the uh, the latter part of Romans 7 is a, uh, well, somewhat controversial text. Uh, What is going on as Paul speaks about this struggle with sin, uh, this wanting to do the good and uh, finding that he can't do it. And uh, I think the, the predominant uh, view, certainly in the Reformed community, has been that this is uh, Paul speaking about his own current uh, spiritual experience, the, the experience of the regenerate New Covenant believer Um, Occasionally, people have said, no, this is not that. This is an unregenerate person. Uh, I would suggest that uh, a a stronger view than either of these is that uh, Paul is reflecting on the experience of uh, Old Covenant Israel, uh, that we can't simply say this is regenerate or unregenerate, but that Paul has, in particular, um, the struggle of Israel with the law. And I hope you can see where this might be relevant for thinking about Psalm 119. Um, 
Paul previously, before we get to the, the, the text under cons- the, the controversial part of this text, beginning in verse 7 of Romans 7, uh, Paul has been speaking about the law. I mean, speaking about the law, certainly in the beginning of Romans 7, the Mosaic law. He's speaking about it a lot earlier in Romans. And as he speaks about dying to this law, being released from the law, it's understandable that Paul has to answer some objections, some possible objections. Uh, is the law itself sin? And the answer is no, by no means. The law is spiritual. The law is holy and righteous and good. Paul explains that. Um, but it, it, it goes on. It, it pr- prompts Paul to give this more detailed explanation of what was going on with the law. Uh, how did the law, the Mosaic law, function? Uh, what was going on? And we see it's interesting in verse 9 of Romans 7, Paul says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Now, it doesn't seem that that actually explains Paul's personal experience. I mean, when did he ever live apart from the law? I mean, he was born an Israelite, born under the law. But we can see that in Israel's history, can't we? Uh, Israel was alive before the law came. They had the promises to Abraham. And yet, what happened when the law came in? Well, Paul addresses that in Romans 5, verse 20. He says, the law came in to increase the trespass, to confirm Israel in certain respects in their death in Adam. The law came in and they died in a certain respect. And Israel struggled. They, at least the righteous in Israel, they they loved God's law. They longed to obey God's law and yet continued to fail, continued to fall under God's judgment. That actually seems like a pretty good summary of so much of Israel's history. And Paul concludes Romans 7 by saying, well, in in verse 24, he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Uh, Certainly a cry that Israelites must have made so often. And verse 25, Paul says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then beginning in verse 8, but now there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. Well, that's far from an exhaustive discussion of the issues of Romans 7, but what light it does seem to shed on Psalm 119, or at least we might say, If this is talking about primarily the experience of old covenant Israel, we might expect that to match what the Old Testament's most extensive reflection on life under the law, the experience with the law, uh, presents. And that most extensive discussion is Psalm 119. There is nothing like it um, elsewhere in the Old Testament. And so we might ask, do we see in Psalm 119 this love of God's law in the mind and yet this struggle, this constant sense of failure uh, to be able to keep it uh, in actuality? Um, Well, what do we see in the beginning of Psalm 119? Well, we certainly see an expression of great love for God's law, a great expression of devotion to God's law. I mean, just notice some of the things we find in this very first section, which I read, verses 1 through 8. Right, this 
Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Right? This, this perfect obedience that is set forth, this wholehearted desire to keep God's law, this is the way of blessing. What a positive view of God's law. What an expression of desire to keep it. Verse 5, oh, that my ways are steadfast in keeping your statutes. Eyes, verse 6, eyes fixed on all your commandments. This is someone who is desiring to keep God's law, who recognizes it is holy and righteous and good, and blessing comes in the way of obedience. We could keep looking at this and see this theme work its way through much of the rest of the psalm as well. I mean, just in the second section, the, the, the bait section, we see this, this emphasis upon, upon the, this wholeheartedness. In verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart. And then later, uh, what, verse 14, delighting in God's testimonies. Verse 15, meditating on his precepts. This is a wholehearted, a deeply rooted sort of commitment to God's law. And yet, yet even as we look at these very verses, we see a sort of underside here. We see a sort of dark side uh, to these reflections. Maybe it doesn't come out as fully as it is going to later in the psalm, but you already see this, this, this other side of the equation. In verse 5, the psalmist says, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast. And you think about that for a moment and you think, well, you know, usually people don't ask for what they already have. If this psalmist was already steadfast, no problem. Doubtful that he would be asking God for this help. Verse 6, then I shall not be put to shame. Even as he's thinking about committing himself to this wholehearted obedience, he also is thinking about being put to shame. The possibilities of failure, the possibilities of not receiving the blessings of God's law are very much on his mind. And then we might consider the very last phrase of this first section in verse 8. He says, do not utterly forsake me. Where does that come from? Don't utterly forsake me. It seems as that he is already, already experiencing something of the forsakenness of God. And he is crying out that this will not be brought any further, that this will not be brought to the sort of the end of the road of forsakenness. And you know, as we, if we would keep looking, we might get a sense of exactly what he's talking about. I mean, just in the third section, the Gimel section, the psalmist speaks about being a sojourner on earth. That's, or maybe a sojourner in the land. He talks later about... Uh, Verse 22, take away from me scorn and contempt. There it becomes very clear. He is under scorn. He's being scorned. He is brought under contempt. In verse 23, he says, princes are plotting against me. This is someone who knows 
the dark side of life. This is someone who knows something of the curses of God under the law. And he's crying out to God for help. Well, and then you might, I'm going to stop here, but if you go to the fourth section, the Dalit section, verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. That's not very positive. This is someone who begins by extolling the blessedness that comes with this devotion to God's law, and it doesn't take long at all before he is being brought to shame, being brought under contempt, and is clinging to the dust. It does sound a little bit like Romans 7, doesn't it? Loving God's law, committing oneself to it, and yet not exactly feeling like this is going well. And you might think, well, I said I was going to stop there, but I lied. The very last verse of Psalm 119 is very interesting. I can't go any further than this. Last verse. One, Psalm, uh, verse 176. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. That's where it ends. Again, not a very positive way to end this psalm. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. That doesn't seem to be working very well. In a way, we can say about Psalm 119, there is no clear resolution to this struggle that the psalmist is experiencing. This tension that he's, that he's wrestling with of devotion to God's law, but this constant feeling, this constant experience of failure. And yet, we can say this, that the psalmist never gives up his faith. He never gives up his hope. Even in this last verse, when he confesses to having gone astray like a lost sheep, he immediately says, seek your servant. He keeps crying out to God. He does not stop. There is still hope. He just doesn't have quite the answer. And here's where we can recognize how wonderful Romans 7 is. Despite the kind of tension, despite the kind of underside, the kind of dark side of Romans 7, how does Romans 7 end? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is an answer. There is a clear answer in Romans 7. Now God has answered the cry of his people. He does not keep requiring his people to look to him in faith and hope without knowing exactly what the answer is. Now we know it. Brothers and sisters, as you think about Psalm 119, and how can we not think about Psalm 119? We keep reading the Psalms, and Psalm 119 takes up a lot of our Bibles. So we have to think about this Psalm, and it's not an easy Psalm to interpret in many respects. You look at the way many Christian writers talk about the Psalm, if you pick up a lot of works on Psalm 119. Writers will write about this going kind of verse by verse, you know, 176 like mini sermons totally unrelated to each other in which this, these words of the psalmist are simply applied in this direct way to our Christian experience. And surely we need 
to think about Psalm 119, recognizing that God has provided in Jesus Christ a clear answer to the struggle and tension presented in this psalm in a way that is so much clearer than this psalmist knew. However we interpret Psalm 119, and there are difficult interpretive issues, we interpret Psalm 119 with that answer in the back of our head, thanks be to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. We don't leave our hearers in exactly the same place where the psalmist was. We help them see the goodness of God's law. We help our hearers understand their sin. We help them understand what it is to be a sojourner in this life because the New Testament tells us we are sojourners still. But remember that we have an answer far clearer than that which Psalm 119 has provided. Indeed, we can say with Paul, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us give him thanks for that great answer. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we, with the psalmist, with the apostle, we do recognize that your law, your law is holy and righteous and good. It was given uh, to your people it was given to show a way that was right and blessed, a way that leads to life. And yet we know that in your providential plan, your great redemptive plan for your people, that that law could not be the final answer. It could not ultimately bring life. It could not bring the blessedness that you had held out to your people long ago. It could not resolve that tension that the psalmist felt, that Paul the Israelite felt. Oh Lord, we thank you that you have provided that great answer in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that in him there is now no condemnation that in him now the righteous requirements of your law are fulfilled in those who walk not according to the old ways, but according to your spirit. And so, Father, we uh, come before you humbly, knowing that it is not of ourselves, but it is in Christ and by his spirit that we walk before you with confidence, with peace, with eager expectation, with strong hope. Encourage us this day, we pray, and encourage to sanctify us according to your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2020, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.